Hi everyone, and welcome to the Creative Cast. My name is Lucas Hammen, and we're back this week. We have another landscape photographer with us, um, but we're not going to the US. We're going to Italy this time. Tuning in from Tortona, we got Enrico Fossati with us. Welcome. Thank you, Lucas. Uh, I'm very happy to be here on your podcast. All right, let's start with you and a bit of your background so we get to know you better. Well, um, I started my journey in the world of landscape photography many years ago. And honestly, at the beginning, it was just like a, a passion. Um, I wasn't uh, focused on professional results or something like that. I was just taking snapshots of my travels and trips and I was using a camera exactly like today we can use a smartphone. So mm -hmm. uh, with, I, I wasn't focused on the professional use of my camera. But of course, uh, my love for landscape has very deep roots because I am passionate about art and about uh, designs and illustrations. I collect mm -hmm. art books from movies and video games and, and from past centuries, like the Romanticism is one of my biggest interests. And of course, when I started to my journey to photography, uh, I started to edit my pictures because I started uh, in the digital age. So Photoshop was always on the desktop of my computer. And um, then I started to study a little bit Photoshop more um, oriented to the just adjustment basic adjustment of my picture to fix color saturation and contrast very very basic stuff and then one day one of my partners at work said me told me but why are you not shooting with a professional camera like a dslr because he saw that i was just trying to fix a picture that was poor in terms of quality yeah uh, because i was shooting with a with an old Coolpix camera. It was a, a five megapixel camera <laughs> okay. that they bought back in 2002, if I'm not wrong. And uh, then later in 2000, after like more than, than, I think it was 2008, 2009, mm -hmm. I bought my first DSLR and I bought it just, okay, sounds like a good idea but I wasn't really aware of what uh, I was doing because, it, for example, uh, I never heard about aperture or shutter speed or okay. something like that. I was using the camera very in, in a very basic way. Mm -hmm. And then after I bought my camera, I started to study classical photography. So I was a huge fan of all the English landscapers David, uh, David Norton, Lee Frost, uh, all these guys that were using the, the camera in the more traditional way with a lot of optical filters, mm -hmm. graduated filters, and a lot of long exposures. Yeah. I, I actually, I, I love the, the English style. Uh, I, but I think for I, that wasn't my, my goal. I always looked for a little more. Um, artistic approach to my photography mm. and because um, as a passionate of art and, and landscapes, uh, especially fantasy landscape, I was looking to uh, a special edit uh, 
And then one day, I discovered the works of Mark Cadenos, and I thought, oh, man, this is God. I, I have to learn from, from <laughs> him. But in Italy, at the time, there was nobody uh, that was... Uh, teaching that kind of um, photography. Okay. Uh, everything was very old and uh, uh, old style and, and linked to the classical scheme of landscape photography. So I started to study Photoshop and editing of my own. Mm -hmm. And uh, I discovered luminosity masking that opened a world to me. So I, from that point, I started to uh, work with multiple exposure blendings mm -hmm. and, uh, Slowly, I started to develop my own style. And then my, my journey in the professional world of photography started uh, later in 2015. Mm -hmm. uh, after I met a lot of professionals from the United States, uh, because um, I was um, an early adopter of 500px in many years ago. And um, from the, the community, social media. What's that? You mean the social media app? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, the, the, the the social media, and um, on that platform, I met a lot of professional photographers, and we built a, a criticism group on Facebook. It was like a, a criticism group. It was very helpful for me. I learned a lot of things, and I've met a lot of guys that actually are the most important landscapers in the United States, like Aaron Babnik, Alex Noriega, Ted Gore, all these guys were in this magical group. And uh, nice. starting from that group, uh, I started to talk with Erin about the, the possibility of planning workshops in Italy on the Alps. And she was looking for a partner. And so we, we start, I started my journey in the world of uh, professional photography after workshop then i started to produce video tutorial i'm teaching photography in the field i plan private workshops and selling prints and all mm. the classical things that are doing professional landscape photographers yeah. and uh when the recent times i i jump in the nft world yeah i've seen that i was actually yeah. surprised that you know that you went to that yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. I think is a good opportunity for creatives in general, not only for photographers. I mean, musicians, video makers, um, mm -hmm. it, it's plenty of opportunity. Uh, of course, it, it's not easy. It's not an easy market because there is a lot of competition mm -hmm. and the, the number of collectors is still limited, but definitely right. it's worth a try. Mm -hmm. uh, I, feel, I feel like the the... the the topic of NFTs, um, which is still widely unknown by most people. Like most people don't know what that is still. Right? Well, the, I see, well, of course, common people don't know what is NFT, what are NFT, because are something that is linked to the world of crypto and a lot of people are not uh, familiar with that world and most of them are not. Uh, I think they are thinking of something that he used by mafia or something like that. So yeah. they are a little scared by, about this world um, because there aren't uh, rules about the, the management of the assets and everything is open. Like uh, you open a website, you create a profile and then you start to trade money and, and crypto. So everything is, well, 
it is a vast world. There are a lot of things to know, but it mm. is, um, I think the, the, the potential is big, especially mm. in, the, in the next years, NFTs, I think, are they will have a, a big role in, in, in our daily life. And probably, well, I read a, a rumors mm-hmm. uh, on Twitter that is the, the core platform for all the crypto stuff and mm-hmm. NFTs. Uh, seems that Facebook and Instagram are going to open the opportunity to their users to sell and purchase NFTs. Yeah. So probably that will be that the, um, the beginning of a new age. And, mm. and of course, the prices, they will probably would be reduced because now are are very high prices. And yeah. as everything, and then it's, at the beginning, there are a few users that are gaining good money. And then after thousands of users are jumping into the pool, <laughs> everything <laughs> is going to probably will, will will change. I, I don't know. Uh, I think, uh, anyway, it's still a good opportunity and it was to try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's for sure quite a bit of mayhem currently. Uh, like it's all over the place. And uh, yeah. uh, I feel like there are no rules for anything. <laughs> but um, everything you know, uh, is still in development. Uh, while there aren't strategies or there are a lot of platforms where you can uh, sell your your NFTs. Yeah. So, uh, may I ask what the benefits? Uh, what what benefits you see in NFTs that you know are well, interesting for us creators? Well, for creators, the the, the benefit is that they can uh, return to like a sort of renaissance of what is fine art photography and art in general because uh, nowadays if you want to sell art prints um, or you are a celebrity or you have to work with galleries where they have um, uh, a pretty high percentage on your um, on the amount of money that you gain on your pictures and yeah, on the everything in in the NFT world is decentralized, so you can work of your own. You don't need to pay nobody, so you have just to sell your your images, and mm-hmm. you can promote yourself. You don't you don't need to be curated by someone, so you yeah. can just open a web page and say, okay, these are my NFTs. And uh, if you are a good marketeer, you can be successful. That is, is, is a pretty strong opportunity for anyone. Yeah, good point. There are no filters, right? Exactly. Well, of course, there are the two phases of the kind. So, I mean, uh, there is a lot of crap. <laughs> but yes, on the other hand, the, you can have a good opportunity. Mm. Well, yeah, it, as you say, it's like the two faces of a coin, right? The more people are allowed to, you know, publish whatever they want, the more yeah. you need to do your own research to see what's what's interesting and what's not, what's valuable, right? Yes, and then uh, you can you can discover artists that probably like uh, ten years ago, for them it was almost impossible to sell a single piece because maybe they were living in a country with poor possibilities or simply they never met a person that was able to manage their portfolios with a with a pool of customers 
I can say that I gained in more in six months selling NFTs than in my entire life selling prints. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm not a big uh, uh, marketer in, in terms of selling prints, but... Yeah, but uh, still. Yeah, but it's different. And here in Italy and Southern Europe, the culture of the the final print, the silent print is not uh, developed among people. It, if you talk with someone, for example, Germany, in Austria, or maybe in Northern Europe, you can see in the bookshops a lot of calendars, um, signed prints, numbered prints, or um, what's the name of the limited edition book? Or, yes, or limited edition prints or art books. Sure. Here in Italy, the culture is not the same. So selling prints and then the problem for me is that I producing uh, a, a series of prints that no series of prints, a series of images that are not uh, exactly commercial. Also in, in the world of landscape photography, I'm not probably the most popular that you can find due the subject of my images because I, I love moods and dark images. So probably is more complicated to find a customer for that kind of prints, probably shooting um, more more commercial subject uh, mm -hmm. is easier to, to place a, a print. I, I know a lot of guys in in Netherlands or in Germany that are, they have a very good business with prints. Okay. I see. And Just due to the nature of the niche you've picked. For example, I know a guy that probably you know is Lars van der Goor, is a Netherlands photographer, and he sells a lot of prints. And I think he is one of his um, main source of income. Uh, he's shooting tree lanes, uh, uh, a lot of trees and nature pictures, and probably are selling very well in his country. Mm -hmm. I see. Okay. Um, Going back to to um, your particular style of photography, mm -hmm. um, how would you, how would you describe your own work? Well, it's always uh, complicated to describe uh, our body of work, but I think there isn't a word to define. Well, the, the, the generic word to define what I'm doing is finance photography, but finance photography means a lot of things. Well, my approach is definitely creative and i'm i'm not going to reproduce reality uh, i never try to do that so okay. my my achievement is when i'm trying when i when i'm successfully reproduce a, a mode or a feeling that i uh, i previsualized and i i i think before shooting a place Mm -hmm. And um, the the definition of this process, well, uh, is I think the, the best word is creative photography. Hmm. Okay, and so so what what I've picked out is the the realism for you is very low on the uh, on the list of what is important to you. You know, realism. You know, to represent. Oh, yeah, the, no, the realism is not really... important. Well, is important because I don't love um, 
fantasy pitchers in terms of um, like uh, uh, maybe you know, Venice with Pack and the Northern Lights or something like that, like composite, extreme composite image. Mm-hmm. Even if I I like composites, when uh, when are uh, made with with good taste, for example, uh, Michael Karts from Parallel Worlds, I think he. He's a great photographer and an amazing artist, and I love his work, even if are pretty pretty strong and extreme uh, photo edit, photo manipulation. But mm-hmm. he, he is a serious artist, and uh, I I never try to to do certain kind of uh, works, but definitely uh, reality is not the key. Well, what do you mean? Uh, is that sometimes I overall the scene with the color in terms of colors, in terms of lighting, because I need to reproduce a certain kind of mood or atmosphere that I I had in mind. Mm. I've seen I've seen that that you lo- that you use a Laker currently. Not anymore. Not anymore. Okay. I just that's what I read on your website. Not anymore because it was a partnership that I mm-hmm. made uh, some years ago. Then I after some years and then I decided to to quit this relation because mm-hmm. I need to work alone. Alone? Did you say alone? What I you see say? well nowadays on the on the social media you see a lot of people that are advertising brands and yeah. then are talking about the passengership. So I could work with many brands and uh, the key Today is not uh, the art of the that I that I am um, a master. Maybe okay. if I am an ambassador, I should be very very good doing something, video mm-hmm. photography or whatever. Uh, but the problem is that brands uh, are looking only for promoters, okay. so they don't need someone that is an artist. They just need someone that is able to draw the attention of the users to their products mm-hmm. and in exchange you don't have a lot in terms of visibility that is the is the most important thing uh, for me uh, i'm not looking for well of course money is good for everyone but uh, I mean, it wasn't my goal at the beginning of my experience with all these brands. I was looking for prestige, for for visibility, for building a, a like a curriculum. Okay, mm-hmm. it's clear. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying, yeah. And in the end, I realized that they are only interested in numbers. So, referral links, contacting people, making reviews. I am a photographer. I don't, I don't, I'm not interested in writing reviews or doing this kind of activities. And so at the end, I decided to, to quit some of these relations because I'm, I'm more interested to keep on going my artistic projects and, and not this kind of project because I'm, are not good for for me because are they are time consuming and in the end I I don't have back what I want. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
So do you feel like it's it's taking something from you? Is it is it taking time or is it taking the joy it's taking, of it? It's taking time and the activities that usually are related with brands are for me are not exactly uh, pleasant. Okay. Okay, I see. Um, but it has it had nothing to do maybe with the product itself. No, 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 no. The products oh, Everything is okay. I never had problems with products and in general. Uh, okay, well, maybe you can find the flow. Um, sometimes it's nasty when you're working with the with the brand, then you have like an exclusive and you can't say, okay, I want to use another product. So you have to use that product. So mm. if you are something that you are, if you're used to, to change is not a problem. Then if you are a person that is used to, to do always certain things, so to say methodic, yes, I think yeah. is the right word. Sure, something like methodic or something like that, I think it could be annoying, but I never had this problem. Okay. I changed for that reason, but I changed. Uh, the, the main problem for me was lack of time mm. And the lack of satisfaction. So I decided to quit my relation, some of my relation, not all, because I still have some relations that are active. Mm. Because your your satisfaction comes from well, when I establish a, a, a business with someone, uh, in terms of I'm talking about a brand, so I'm expecting that that brand is using. Um, my pictures he is celebrating my art, mm. writing articles, advertising me. And this is not happening in the most of the case. Maybe sometimes uh, one image on Instagram that is just a drop in the sea. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it, it is nothing that you can see. Okay, these people are, are appreciating a post in the web on Instagram is just. Okay. Yeah, it's just a momentary thing. There wasn't the the proper exchange, in my opinion. I see. What would you have wished that these companies would do? What I told. So a person that on the other side was able to push my images through their media. Well, I was expecting to be an ambassador of that brand. So not a promoter. Mm, okay. You know I what see. I, mean? I see. So it's more, you want it to be more about the but artist rather than the company. Right? Exactly. So the problem that I'm saying is not only mine, because I know a lot of guys that are experimenting the same issues with other brands, because mm. now the, it's not important exactly what are you doing. And uh, I see very often Brands are advertising maybe products with just exploiting the the names of the photographers, mm. but in, in reality they are they are not using their images in the proper way, in my opinion. And sometimes uh, it's just a matter of numbers and not a matter of reputation. So, mm. okay, okay, I think I think I think I got the idea. Uh, yeah, I, I think is well. 
Okay, of course, if for a guy that is jumping in the world of photography, it could be very nice because you have free gear, mm. you have something like that you can write in your profile. I am yeah. ambassador, I am, I am, I am, I am. That mm. is the, the most important word in the world of Instagram. I am. I am something I'm doing, I'm connecting, I'm contacting. <laughs> and, uh, well, uh, I think it's not important anymore for me that... Um, I'm more interested in in doing my job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I see. I mean, it, sure, it always depends on on your specific situation. Because uh, I met a lot of photographers and professionals over the years, and uh, if you talk with these people, nobody is saying, "Oh, he's doing cool works because he's working with that brand." Okay. He's doing that w- cool work because he is a good photographer, not because he's working for someone. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- I think that is the important thing. So building a reputation, not thanks to the brands, but thanks to you and what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Okay. As artist, as person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, sure. Um, I mean, it, it needs to make sense um, for you, you know, not only for what you want to represent, but also, you know, how you work, your mentality. Right? Exactly. It's represent that. Um, so that's regarding a bit of the side of, you know, the brands itself. But I would love to talk about um, sort of um, functionality when it comes to equipment regarding landscape photography. Yes. Um, since um, there are landscape photographers, young landscape photographers that are just starting out and they might wonder what is the equipment they they need what's the basic things they need to look out for when it comes to this specific type of photography uh, when it comes to cameras lenses well, and tripods yes well this depends what kind of landscape photography are you looking for so, i mean if you're just looking to travel photography or if you are more interested in pure landscape photography with uh, trips in the wilderness and and this kind of things, of course mm-hmm. you you have to choose wisely in that case because you need uh, well of course uh, lightweight gear, rugged equipment, and uh, you have to select uh, compact lenses that are versi- uh, versatile. So for example. I'm used to work with zoom lenses. I never use primes like um, 20 millimeters or something like that because yeah. are bulky, very heavy, and very often I, I, I'm feeling uh, limited by the, that kind of lenses. So I prefer a zoom lens. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, I think, in my opinion, the best brand is Sony. Uh, I'm teaching landscape photography since many years and especially post-processing. So I I see the raw files of almost any brand. And uh, in my opinion, the best files that you can see now are or from Nikon or from Sony. Mm -hmm. So in in terms of um, quality of the raw file, of course, the, the medium quality is very high. So Canon is good and Fuji is very good. And every brand now has a very high standard, in my opinion. But for my needs, actually, 
The best one is Sony. Mm-hmm. Now I own a A7R4. Mm-hmm. And um, because they have a very wide range of lenses of high quality mm-hmm. uh, of recent production. So they are optimized for the mirrorless systems. Yes. And um, in my case, I was looking for a lens with a native um, socket, 12 millimeters. Say that again. I mean, Sorry, I, didn't I, mean I, was, I was looking for a brand that was able to offer me a very extreme wide angle okay. native. So without the use of metabones or adapters. And the unique brand at the moment that has a native 12 millimeters is Sony. Oh. With the 1224 f2.8, uh, is a fantastic lens. It's very lightweight, it's super sharp, and it's native. So, uh, because using Metabons, uh, okay, I, I worked for a while mm. with Metabons, but there's always something that you have to, to add between your camera and the lenses, and in case of extreme weather they could be a weak point okay. for for your gear so i prefer to avoid to use them and uh, moreover in terms of quality uh, autofocus or something like that sometimes uh, you can have some issues uh, it's better to to avoid them in my opinion yeah and then of can. course all the all the zooms that are offered by by sony are very are very lightweight and with very good performance so a lot of sharpness for example a very cheap lens that in my opinion is fantastic is the 24 105 is an f4 lens that for landscape photography is is far enough is um a very versatile lens because you you have a lot of focal length that you can mm. can use and it's very compact and lightweight it's perfect for a landscape photographer okay and then of course depends these two lenses with these two lenses you can do almost everything if you're looking for details or more intimate landscape of course you need also a tailor lens and there are a lot of options okay uh, but it's more for rarity for Yes, well, I, I I own a tele lens and I use it sometimes, but it's not definitely a lens that is essential for my job. I see. Mm-hmm. And um, for what concerning tripods, yes, I recommend a very good one. Uh, no compromise with tripods because when you are in in the wild and when you are far from a city when you don't have a, a shop close to your home you need something that is very reliable and robust without mm-hmm. because maybe you, you can you can purchase a very cheap one now there are a lot of brands from far east that are very cheap and mm-hmm. that are overall are good quality tribals but when there are extreme conditions I think you can have serious problems, especially in maybe in, in the junction point or in the um, uh, the screw or or the, the the mobile parts of the tripods. They can be very very delicate, especially when you are shooting 
with many degrees below the zero, like, you know, minus 25, minus 30. Mm. Uh, it's very easy that you can have problems with the gear. So it's worth to, to invest some money in the tripod. I see. So don't go cheap on that. Um, how do you tell if, if a tripod is good or not? You know, you go to a shop and, you know, without looking at the, at the, at the no, price well, tag. And well, on the paper, uh, if you're if you're looking for something that is just carbon fiber, uh, you can find thousands of brands. And I think the best is to take a look at your wallet and read some reviews, and then have an idea of what is your budget. Of course, if you want something without compromise, the brands are two or three: RRS, Gizzo. And maybe uh, the other one. Hmm? Maybe Manfrotto. Yes, Manfrotto is a good is a good is a good tripod, or maybe FLM, or well, there are many. Colorado tripod in the United States is very is a very good tripod. Anyway, it, the, the the key is to try to to take a, a moment to read some reviews in terms of the robustness and if there are uh, tests about the environment where you're going to shoot. So mm. if you're shooting a lot of landscapes, I know there are brands that are producing uh, seeded tripods, especially for the salty water. Mm. I see sealed. So the, uh, so the inside doesn't. Exactly. Exactly. Because in the salty water is, is terrible for gear. Mm, yeah, yeah okay it's better. well you don't even have to put it in water like if you're in a very humid place uh, sometimes can be enough because humidity is not a big issue in terms of well the, the, you have just to take care of your gear uh, time to time but the problem is the salt the salt okay. is is destroying completely the screw and everything that mm. is uh, is made of metal so i recommend to wash the tripods always after a session in the ocean or in the sea in general mm. i recommend to open your tripod and wash it under the shower okay unless and time to like, time yeah. yeah time to time is very useful also maybe use lubricants or the proper product for the maintenance of the tripod i see i see okay, i am good. ambassador of for Gitsum, and mm -hmm. uh, of course it's a splendid brand i love their tripods and i never had a single problem with them mm -hmm. and uh, i time to time i they sent to me the, there is a special lubrificant for the the g-lock system so you can always have the screw perfectly working and uh, i wash them time to time i i completely uh, dismount the tripod and i i leave the the legs in, in the in the sweet water mm. and then after i apply some lubrificant and then i i after it is dried up well, it's ready to return in the field okay good <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, I don't mind that. i mean i feel like most people don't do that they're just like you know it just suffers no, that's uh, how it is. It, is it, i think it is something that it worth especially if you have uh, an expensive tribe <laughs> yeah okay yeah well when they are very expensive normally they give you the option to actually dismount it properly because if it's too cheap you probably can't even do that <laughs> like, i don't know i don't know because uh I probably every type of you, you you can completely unscrew the legs well i don't know <laughs> anyway yeah. 
Probably yes. I have a really cheap one, and like it's one uh, one piece. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's like God, you destroy that if you want to take it apart. Um, no, but I mean, what should you expect uh, a good tripod to cost you? Roughly, give a number. I think around five hundred euros at least. Oh, that sounds okay. Yeah, without I was, I was, I was thinking of worse. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> well, so. a Giza tripod, um, I think, is around eight hundred without the bolt head. Without then the bolt, with without the bolt head. Oh, the bolt head. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Then you have to purchase the head part. All right. Um, talking about the head, it's um, you know, norm uh, the standard tripod most people know is is not that right it's not a bolt head tripod with three axes yes three axes i i think it maybe it could be very precise but it's extremely uncomfortable when you're at the field especially if you're moving in in the nasty environment and then you have these three levers mm -hmm. it, it, it is very it's very uncomfortable i prefer to use a bolt head because it's more compact um, mm -hmm. and you don't have the, the weight of the other the other kind of ball heads. And then moreover, you can uh, reduce a lot of movements of the ball head just purchasing an L-plate lens, an L-plate for your camera. Mm -hmm. What is that exactly? The L-bracket. Um, I'm not sure right if, now what that is. Do you know the L-plate? It's like you mean you mean the one where you like the the one you screw so to the camera. You can you can mount the camera vertical oh, and oh, horizontal yeah. with, okay. with the that's same. That's called L plate. Okay, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. L plate. Okay. Yes, that's the standard one, right? Yeah, uh, that is very very useful, especially be because with the with the problem of the ball head is that sometimes if you have a, an heavy camera and you don't have the L bracket and you need to make a an a vertical shot you have to completely turn the the, the ball on one side that mm -hmm. could be pretty dangerous for your gear especially if you are shooting maybe in a river or something like that yeah. and with the air bracket you have just to turn True. your camera and and you don't have to touch the plate mm -hmm. okay fair enough but um it's always also i i feel like investing in a good tripod is sort of um a life um a life policy for your camera since if if you if, if you buy a very cheap tripod and then due to that you know it being very fragile and lightweight uh, it's easy to fall over and you know damage your gear yeah, so the, the problem of the, the super light gear uh, could be, for example, if you're shooting in, in the forest when you have a, a very soft layer of dead leaves, mm. you can easily see the tripod that is floating <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. the leaves. That is very dangerous because it, in one second you can have you can broke your lens maybe on on a stone or on yeah, on the roots of a tree. Yes, everywhere. So definitely, the super light tripod is not a solution for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think another uh, another 
Interesting. I mean, you, you you have to find a compromise according to your body and uh, your capability to load the weight for a long time. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, there are a lot of mid solutions that are very good. I mean, you, you don't need to have a, a super heavy tripod to be able to mount the 600 millimeters because it could be just useless, but okay. something in the mid could be a, a good solution. Mm-hmm. For example, talking about Gizzo, because I know all the models of Gizzo, Mountaineer yes. is a perfect tripod. It's an overall solution. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Um, sure, it needs to fit, well, your particular yeah. <laughs> situation. If you have, if your camera and lenses are worth 300 euros, maybe it's too much spending 500 on yeah, yes of course everything <laughs> for example be, you know you have to put it in perspective yeah yeah definitely depends what kind of gear are you using uh, a gear for 300 and 300 euros camera maybe is too much yeah yeah of course but for it could be a good solution mm-hmm. another thing I've, i've noticed is you know a man m- many entry-level um tripods have um a joint in uh, for the legs you know so they can't spread completely oh yeah so that's so i feel like that's something to look out for too that you you get a tripod that um lets you put the camera as low to the ground as you can well most of the tripods are you can invert the, the central column you can you can take it out or what do you mean Yes, you, you, you can remove the center column and mount it on the other side. So a lot of people are not aware of this possibility, but there is a, a way to completely remove the central column and mm-hmm. then you can, you can mount it reversed. So you can hang your camera in the middle of the legs of your tripods. Then you can, you can go very low. Okay, I see. Interesting. Yes, usually there is a screw. You can do that in the field without many problems. Okay, but, so maybe, maybe that's with, that's with another. With you can do it. Okay, but I think maybe that's another idea to you know have a screwdriver with you when you go out to the wild. Well, but I, I recommend always to, to purchase a, a tripod without the central car because yeah. it is. Usually, if you raise completely the center column, you you lose the balance. And uh, on the other hand, when you want to go very low, you have always this piece of metal that you, you can't reach the the, the the lowest part of the mm-hmm. of the terrain. And so, probably the, the best solution is to find a, a tripod where you can remove the center column. All right, fair enough. Um, If you happen to to think back, you know, to when you started to go out mm. to um, the wild and take pictures um, of of the landscapes, what are what what are one of the most you know largest issues or problems you've encountered in the very beginning? Oh. You know, like mistakes you've done you that really ruined your day thousands of mistakes <laughs> starting from purchasing gear to to the, the, the i mean the, the outdoor gear to the photographic gear i bought a lot of filters completely useless okay <laughs> i bought a lot of maybe 
things that in the end are were not the, the perfect solution. Mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, it were to spend a little more since the beginning, so then you can have uh, then a good benefit later in I terms see. of the gear, especially if you're going to shoot in the mountains or in places where temperature can drop or maybe you can have a storm uh, mm-hmm. or something like that. It's worth to to purchase some good gear and some good boots or shoes in general. Um, that it, it was probably one of the biggest issues that at the beginning you have to um, have to figure out what you need and what works for you. Exactly. And then uh, because it's a vast work. Well, when you start, okay, I want to make a, a landscape photography, but then after you build the camera, you need the gear to go outside. So rainproof gear, boots, waders, uh, backpack, mm-hmm. headlights, pole sticks, tent, sleeping bed, that is a lot of gear and okay. you have to spend a lot of money if you want a very a very good product. So at the beginning, it is always complicated to choose among all these products because then you need, of course, you can talk with a lot of people that maybe I can suggest the product for you, but then for you maybe is not best solution sure. maybe it's a good product but it's not comfortable for you so especially one of the most complicated thing for me it was to find the right boots the right what right boots yes really because especially when you the, the biggest problem with the boots is you have to find a first of all a pair of comfortable boots and then yeah. they must be waterproof Mm-hmm. And then they must be warm. So, and then you have to remember that maybe you walk for two or three hours, and then you have maybe you have to stay in a place for a while. So usually then you get cold, and then later you have to return back. So your boots they must be absolutely comfortable and uh, made uh, with very readable uh, materials in terms mm-hmm. of resistance. Because if you're going in the mountains during a rainy day, if your boats are not good, they are starting to uh, to soak from the from the top. Sure. Is that usually that is one of the problems because if the, the insulation is not good when you are out, then maybe you can't, have the the feet wet from the from the bottom of the boot, but from from above uh, that is terrible because then you have your finger completely frozen. <laughs> oh no, oh yeah, okay. Yeah. Oof, yeah, it doesn't sound uh, like a lot of fun. Okay, so invest in good boots. Yeah, good boots <laughs> is always okay. It, good it footwear. Worked. I see. Uh, when it comes to lessons learned regarding spotting location, you know about yeah. composition, landscape, you know, finding a good, good, you know, composition, basically, for your image to capture. Well, that is another good point. Well, nowadays, um, uh, to be successful as a landscape photographer, you must be, should certain locations. So it uh, seems that the research for original spots is like a kind of second objective. So the first one is to have something 
iconic in the portfolio. And uh, in my opinion, that is uh, something that is, I don't know, you lose a bit the feeling of the discover. Uh, is the is the feeling of the, the scouting to, to go in a place, find a good spot and then take a picture. I think that is very satisfying for me. Mm-hmm. So sometimes when I see enormous portfolios of iconic pictures, I see, okay, maybe are beautiful, but it's okay. Maybe you have this sense of deja vu. That, oh, okay. Yeah. I've seen this a thousand times. Yeah. I think it is, it's pretty annoying. And, uh, for me, it's more important to to achieve a shot that for me is personal and I feel mine. Then, of course, in my portfolio, I have something iconic, but that is not my goal. Um, for example, if I can travel in a place on the other side of the world that is super popular, okay, mm-hmm. I take a picture, an iconic picture from the iconic place, okay, I am there. I, I take one, but that is not my goal. I mean, okay. it's not my portfolio. It's just one shot that I will, it will be part of my portfolio, but I, I don't want to base all my creations on that. So I use it, I'm using it to spend a lot of time searching from nice location that potentially can be interesting. And um, I'm quite lucky because I live. Um, just two hours from the French border. Mm. So I, I have a lot of Alps around my own mountains. And, uh, and there are a lot of valleys all around that are completely unspoiled. There are a few photographers that are going there. And uh, so purchasing maps or maybe purchasing uh, photographic books from the area mm. or just um, visiting a touristic office you can okay. have an idea of what there is in this valleys and uh, on that base then you can start to think uh, or at your shot of course i can't be sure about the possibilities until you reach the place and you make your scouting because then it is possible that you find something better during that trip going in that place than that place in the end is disappointing, but then you find another one. Okay. Just by chance, but, you know, it might surprise you. Yeah. So I, I love to scout and explore. Of course, it's risky. So this means that if I spend a week doing scouting, probably... I will have less picture compared to person that has a map of all the iconic places and then is going, okay, this morning I'm going here, this night I'm going here. Mm-hmm. Okay, very nice. It's very technical because I can have all with precision where the Milky Way is appearing and where the sun is setting. Mm-hmm. I can I can see thousands of examples of that place that I can research on Instagram or other websites. Yeah, but I think you lose a little bit of magic. I see. I see. Uh, it also makes you, if you might end up with less photos if you do it, you know, the first way, you know, scouting on your, scouting yes. on your own. But the that ones hurts. you get are more unique and different. Yeah, exactly. So, because uh, usually... I have an idea of 
what I want to shoot. For example, this fall, I went to scout an area in the French Alps that it was um, very... Uh, it's not very common, it's not very popular among photographers. It's very wild. And of course, it was challenging because many places were not exactly easy to, to reach. But I okay. had the chance to to take some pictures that, in my opinion, are interesting because are very unique and nobody has those pictures. Mm. And that for me is very important, of course, is, is rewarding for me. Yeah. Probably compare in terms of commercials, shooting, for example, Tracime or maybe Cinque Terre, it could be easier and more rewarding in terms of visibility, but it's different. Mm. Um, you know, recollecting what we have been speaking about uh, for the last 10 to 15 minutes uh, regarding, you know, lessons learned and mistakes um, you have encountered on your way. Um, maybe you can dumb it down to two or three um, most important lessons learned for you you would give as an advice to a younger self. Well, the, the best advice that I can do is to, well, for newcomers, definitely uh, the, the, the discussion that we made about the possibility of scouting compared to commercial portfolio, of course, are different. I, I was making a discussion more focused on the professionals. Uh, as a... As a beginner, probably a very nice thing is to try to achieve the same shots of your idol. Okay. I mean, your, your, your favorite photographer. Exactly. So maybe so you can learn the basics of photography, doing something that you can have under the eyes, and then you can see the entire process, the trees behind the the construction of a successful shot. So yes. Definitely. Uh, that could be uh, a good lesson. I see. To learn. Exactly. But when you think that you are ready to build your portfolio, I think it's worth to spend a little of time trying to do something that is more personal because the beauty of landscape photography is not just creating postcards of iconic place, but yeah. create a series of portfolios that you feel yours. Okay. And, well, of course, you can approach iconic places, but they mean in original way, just selecting a, a different kind of weather. Mm. For example, I started my career uh, shooting rainy days. Okay. Uh, I, uh, my most popular shots from the French Alps were taken during hours of the days that completely uncommon for that time. Now it, you, it is different because is that style has been commercialized and you can see other, a lot of pictures made in that way. Mm. But at the time, shooting rainy days and avoiding the classical pink and red clouds was just a little bit weird. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, for me, it was very rewarding in terms of satisfaction and of personal success. So mm. probably it, The, the, the key is experimenting so you don't have to fear to make something wrong especially in the beginning because you are you're learning 
And uh, probably the worst enemy of an of a beginner are social media, mm. because when I started, uh, social media were not. Uh, I think for maybe no, there wasn't, there weren't, and um, people was posting on the forums. Yeah, and on the forums there was space to learn. Mm. And uh, it was nice to to receive critics from people. Now you, on the social media, you don't see critics. You see only awesome, beautiful, amazing yeah. colors are striking or something like that. You see only compliments. Yeah, just and, pray, uh, just pray, praisers and haters. <laughs> exactly. I, I think it is very bad mm -hmm. for learning, and because you are. A little bit, um, maybe you're always expecting to receive a, a compliment about your work, and mm -hmm. I think it could be toxic. I mean, because then at the end you you are convinced to make something that is very good, but then in the end it's not good. Uh, okay, <laughs> you have just to <laughs> oh, try and try and try to do something that is personal, and. Uh, Maybe you can renounce to some likes and, and positive comments, but you can find uh, like a, a nick of people that are really enjoying what are you doing. Mm. Uh, I think it's not important to have thousands of pictures that are just nice for a lot of persons that are just browsing quickly Instagram and say like, 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 like yeah. is more important. Um, to me to have a portfolio of pictures that people remind because are special. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yes. So I, I follow a lot of photographers that they have uh, maybe a small audience. Yeah. They they are not big accounts, but they are making very nice and original works. Mm -hmm. And for me uh, are interesting because maybe I can be inspired by these guys because I'm not an absolute master. I, I need to feed my creativity And get inspired doesn't mean copy. Get inspired, maybe watching the work of someone, and then try to take a, take a little of time and trying to introduce in your workflow to channel yeah. that work, that creative work in your workflow. Um, I spend a lot of time watching movies and artworks and trying to to learn from the masters. Mm. Hollywood uh, definitely uh, is a very good way to understand the lighting, the colors, the composition. And uh, you have to watch and channel and then do something of your copy. Is that good? Mm. I see, I see. Um, I, I do agree with you on that um, completely. It's one of the reasons, for example, for this show, that's one of the criteria um, I um, look out for creative people to be on the show. I don't look at how much influence they have, but rather on what they do, their portfolio, their, um, what they create, you know, and if that is interesting or it, it captures my attention somehow. Yeah, I, I think that is the right philosophy. So I, I follow with passion a lot of guys that they really have something to say about yeah. their territories 
or um, their vision of photography is not just a list of places they visited and they made a very big wow picture with pasted fake lights or something like that. I, I love to search something that is more strong that that make make me feel something. Yeah. So when I watch this portfolio, I need to get excited or emotion. So I need to to receive something. Okay, a good image is nice, but maybe I can forget it after mm. a few minutes. So when you see something that really hits your mind, uh, I think that is a successful image, not the yeah. number of likes. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Something that you won't forget. You know, something yeah, that is exactly. burnt into your score. Um, you, you have mentioned, you know, um, what inspires you, what... Uh, you know, you're looking for a creative um, content, a creative portfolio. Um, when it comes to creativity, how does that impact you or impact your work? Oh, you mean in terms of continuity? Yeah. Like, um, what does creativity mean to you and how how big of a role does it play? Oh, what you do? It's essential. Of course, not all the days are good for creativity. Uh, there are long moments. Well, with the with the time, uh, of course, at the beginning when you're processing pictures, um, maybe you can be happy about almost all your pictures. With the time after you visited many places and that uh, you have created a lot of pictures, that you are more picky, and then you start to say, no, "This one is not very good, and this is not really exciting," and so then you you're changing and then you 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 become very selective and very critic with yourself and of course creativity is suffering a bit because when after you created a lot of works and then to make a very original one you need a little more time and mm. but definitely i am of the opinion that you have to work for quality and not for quantity so i prefer to publish 10 shots in one year, but I want I want to be sure that those time shots are killer for me. Mm. Mm. I don't need just to produce pictures that are senseless. Uh, yeah. it, it's not my goal. I'm not an influencer. I'm not looking for that. So I'm mm. just a photographer, and uh, I, I look to 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 create something that for me uh, means something and. Uh, and definitely there are moments in your life that you, you you are not creative. So you can do nothing. You have just to wait. Mm. And be patient. Yeah. Maybe you need to interact with people, living emotions, get drunken, or yeah. <laughs> you can do a lot of things. Uh, you, you have just to, to wait the right moment for you to make something that is special. So you, you can be of the same mode every day. Just for example, when you wake up in the morning and then you are going at work, not every day you are of the same mode. There are days that you are more positive and maybe you are more interested in your project. And there are days that you want to stay at home and to sleep. <laughs> yeah. It's completely different. So it's the same for photography. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I feel you. Um, it's obviously not all, you know, roses um, when it comes to uh, executing a, a creative craft uh, in any way. 
um, since it involves a lot of up and downs. But I like what you said. Um, um, you know, most good photo series because you know, classically, um, you know, any uh, photography is consumed in, in in a series of images, not yeah, you know, single images. Um, well, nowadays it's turning more into you know the single image world, but um, it, it not didn't used to be. And um, most historically, you know, very established and famous photo series and photo books are um, have taken very very long time to be to be done. You know, we just have to think of, for example, yeah, Sebastián Salgado. You know, with his with his books that you know, I feel like each book took him like ten years to make. So, yeah, um, and yeah that is a very good example. Yeah. <laughs> It's not a guarantee for success, and I don't think it's uh, a mandatory um, quality for it to be good. Like it doesn't have to take you years for it to be a good project, but uh, it definitely helps. <laughs> I will put it that way. I think you um, you touch on a very good point in terms of, I mean, the success is not your goal. I mean, when I started my journey in the world of photography, my goal was not to be successful. I mean, I wasn't thinking to to become a, an Instagram star or maybe a, a celebrity. I was just looking for something that was satisfying for me. Uh, I think sometimes the approach... It, is wrong. I know a lot of persons that are, uh, they joined the world of photography and after a few months, they started to teach and started to produce video tutorial, just barely copying the works of other persons. And I think that is not success. Uh, you, you never build a career around that behavior. Mm. Because maybe you can steal some money. You can have a um, temporary success because you're exploiting something that is under is very popular among people but then in the end over the time then you you will disappear because you don't have nothing to say mm. Mm. Uh, yeah I like the way you put it um, I think you have just to focus your attention on photography other things of course are necessary especially if you are thinking to a professional career but your professionalism should be a priority for you mm. in terms of behavior and uh, the way in your how you present yourself to the to the professional community mm. honestly i wouldn't i wouldn't would be disappointed to see something like that because it's happened and it continuously happened in the world of photography that there are a lot of clones of people that are trying to exploit the works of other guys and mm -hmm. that is pretty toxic for the, for the community and uh, definitely is not the right way to be successful I see so be very clear um, about you know, the purpose, why you do this, why you do photography, if you happen to do photography, um, and what, and be clear about your goal. And if that is 
a healthy goal, you know, a health, yeah, a healthy well, reason. Well, your goal could be also to make money, but <laughs> of course, as every job you need to be very successful, you need a little of passion. You can do it just is not just the work that you are you you are doing because you you need money to to pay something so you, mm. you have to do something especially photography landscape photography is something that you need a lot of passions uh, you, a lot of passion what are you doing is not just something that you can consolidate in a few days right? yeah. it's a journey and uh, it takes a lot of time to be very successful. The, the, the famous words about, I need to build my style. Okay. I need to build my style. Building a style is something that of course is important, but it's not something that you can do in six months or one year. So you need a lot of time. And it's something that is coming from you. It is changing over time. But the, the key of this creative process is that you need to be always honest with your with your audience, and um, you you have to produce something that is uh, really important for you. Mm, something that's true. Yeah, yeah, I see. For um, example, if tomorrow I start to take pictures of cats because I need to to gain followers. I'm not believable, actually, because I, I, I made landscape for 10 years in a certain way. And then if you change completely from a day to another, uh, I, I can yeah, be, you confuse can, people and you start to lose. Exactly. So, and then you or, as I said before, copying other persons is not the right behavior. So maybe mm -hmm. you can be successful because there are a lot of um, media now that you is easy to copy someone because there are a lot of video tutorials and, mm. and teachings on youtube on or on the web so the learning curve is less steep compared to 10 years ago because you have a lot of informations for free and there are a lot of very well explained videos and in the field uh, mm. or in post processing so you can you can build uh, a very nice portfolio very quickly, but then at the end, when you build this portfolio, you have to ask to yourself if, if, if it's your portfolio mm -hmm. or if it's the portfolio of another person. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Good point. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> um, so moving on, um, we're, we're getting towards um, the end of the episode. And yes. uh, there's one more thing I wanted to, to you know, remark on since uh, it stood out to me um, and there's um, you know an endless debate about if you should uh, or not put your watermark on your images <laughs> <laughs> like doing 180 degree on the conversation but um, what stood out to me looking at your website your portfolio is that you have slapped on your images um, you know your watermark Yes. And I was well, curious um, what your arguments are to do that. Well, honestly, at the beginning, <laughs> I, I was just applying my watermark because I was jealous of my public pictures. And I was thinking that uh, was a way to protect my images from cheaters or something like that. That, in fact, 
is still uh, a way to protect your images, especially if you are publishing pictures with a low resolution. But at the moment, I'm doing that uh, just because I'm used to do that. I'm used to shine my picture with my logo, but it's not necessary, honestly, because if someone is stealing a picture, uh, well, there are a lot of ways that you can gain back the money for, for that. For example, there is a website. They, they are pretty popular. Uh, I don't remember the name. Is Claim, PhotoClaim. Mm -hmm. uh, is a professional service, and then you can you can upload your portfolio to the website, and they are searching all over the web if someone is using your your picture, and then they are uh, honest. They are um, asking money to these people, and then usually they are always very successful, and mm. then you give back some uh, part of this money. Oh, okay, not bad. <laughs> but yeah, I mean. Sure, it's 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 um it's a measure to you know limit no, all the people besides, exploiting. Besides this, this, there are a lot of ways to protect yourself for from stealer. But I think I think it is it, it, very well. You can find maybe some local magazines that are stealing a picture, maybe of popular place around your own, but. It, I, you will never be robbed by maybe the New York Times or the yeah. big magazines. Or <laughs> you <always>. wish. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish. <laughs> okay, okay. So I think for me, it's just a, a way to say, okay, this is mine, but it's just something like a, something that I'm used to do, but there isn't a, a serious reason. I mean, sure. I was just, I was just being curious. That's all. I just, I was, just, I don't know, because you know, I, um, you see, um, some do it, some don't. Uh, lately, most people don't do it, you know, because you don't want it to distract from the art itself. That's like, yeah, it's it, it, it perfectly it understandable. Yeah. Right, and um, I don't know. I was just, I was just asking, you know. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um. All right. Um, before we uh, hit it off, um, would you be so kind to tell our listeners where they can actually find your work? Check you out. Get, you know, contact you. Oh, yes. You can find everything about me on my website. It, it is www.enricofossati.it mm -hmm. or on Instagram, enrico.fossati. And you can find all my pictures there. And then on my website, there are the links on all the other social media where I'm connected. Um, you can purchase from a website um, um, video tutorials about my processing. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you need prints or NFTs, well, just send me an email. All right, sweet. Um, this has been a pleasure. Uh, it was fun talking with you about many different topics. And I think we managed to get valuable information out of all of them, um, especially about, you know, um, valuable tips regarding, um, you know, uh, getting things right uh, from the beginning when it comes to landscape photography for beginners. You know, a lot of things to look out for, especially, you know, when it comes to foot footwear, uh, you know, <laughs> buy some sturdy shoes. <laughs> Keep that in yeah. mind. 
If you learn one thing from this episode, <laughs> it's that you should buy good, good shoes. Um, no, Enrico, thank you so much for being here. It was it was a pleasure. Thanks, Lucas. It has been a pleasure. Bye bye. All right, um, all right, guys. You've heard it. I thought I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, you will find all links to Enrico's social media and website in the description of this episode and all social posts. I hope you guys have a lovely week. I'm Lucas. This was a creative cast.